Welcome to this special CES edition of Floor 9. Joining you as a new host, Ryan Miller, Manager of Partnerships here at the IPG Media Lab. And up on the mic first with me is Director of Client Services, Ben Hone, and our resident CSR. Thanks for being here, Ben. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, of course. Uh, can't be there on the ground this year, unfortunately, but we were just as diligently scouting as ever the virtual show floor. So as our uh, in-chief scout, um, what were some of the key takeaways that you were able to extrapolate from the virtual tour this year? Yeah, uh, you know, hopefully we'll all be able to get together again in Las Vegas next year. I certainly, for one, want to test the, uh, the Las Vegas loop. Um, but yeah, this year it was, you know, we were, we were virtual and, um, I, you know, I think overall it's, uh, I think it's fair to say that the past two years have been pretty tough. Mm. Um, and something that, you know, is really kind of refreshing about CES is that it's all about the future and it's, it's all about optimism for the future. And, um, every year we, we kind of go and we check out all the cool, wacky, wonderful innovations, and new products that are, um, being announced on the show floor. Um, and, and those are great. And we certainly cover those, but really our, our role is to, um, take a little peek under the curtain, so to speak, and, and try to make connections between what these major tech companies are announcing so that we can kind of get an understanding of what their vision for the future is. Uh, oftentimes that um, is pretty revealing in terms of how are, they, how, how are these companies analyzing consumer trends and behaviors and, and how are they preparing for that future? And it's fitting that you're looking at it through such an optimistic lens because our theme this year is welcome back to the future for CES 2022. So looking into your crystal ball or orb, if you will, um, using that gaze to look ahead, what is that first trend that we were able to uncover based on those innovations we saw on the floor? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I mean, I think there's been a lot of talk over the course of 2021 about the great resignation and um, and, and, you know, how a lot of people are really just reevaluating how they want to be reimbursed for the time and the energy that they're spending doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and so we've really seen this boom in the creator economy over the past year across lots of different categories. Um, people are starting to kind of coalesce around passion points um, and create content. Um, based on the things that they love to do. And it's great for them because they can work remotely, they can build and monetize an audience. And so kind of in response to that, we actually saw a lot of really interesting um, tools for creators to help build and, uh, and, and create their content, share mm -hmm. and monetize their content. Um, and so I think Adam and Chelsea are kind of going to talk a little bit about that as we go forward. But there was you know, no shortage of really nice webcams. And uh, one of my favorites actually was something that Samsung was showing in their C-Lab exhibition. Uh, it was a software, um, a software solution called Tuning, which was a really interesting way of using machine learning um, to, to basically create a user interface that's very simple and allows people to create uh, web comics, which, you know, I know mm. we see a lot of, um, you know, across Reddit, Twitter, and really interesting way to share information and create memeable content. Um, and basically it's a creator tool for online storytelling that allows people to 
use pre-programmed illustrated characters that can be edited and customized with over 10,000 different facial expressions, motion styles, outfits, um, just so they can, you know, they, they can build the story they want in a um, relatable, quick, digestible format. And I think we were seeing that at large, a lot of AI being utilized to generate content or at least assist in generating content, whether it be tuning or Supertone, which was an innovation at a Eureka Park that used AI to generate a spokesperson for a brand. There's a lot of instances that were using machine learning to help the creators. And just real quick on that beat one more time, like, are you just talking about what my grandma affectionately refers to as Twitchers or like, what is a creator these days? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I think everyone's a creator these days. You know, there's not that much of a difference between um, someone who goes live um, broadcasting themselves playing video games on Twitch and what we're doing right now. You know, it's it's just mm. putting stuff down on tape and uh, and and then and putting it out into the world and seeing what kind of reaction you get. And and it's actually kind of a nice segue into our second section that or the second trend that we that we saw this year. Uh, which was all around the metaverse. Um, you know, every year at, on the CES show floor, there's some bit of buzzy technology that I think might be a little misunderstood or gets co-opted for clicks. Um, uh, in the past, it's been voice assistance. We've seen 5G just kind of make its way into every single product, whether it's warranted or not. And this year was really all about the metaverse. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see this really transformative piece of technology that um, kind of, as you alluded to before, has its roots in the gaming industry. What's really interesting about this metaverse discussion is someone used an analogy in one of my partner sessions yesterday is that if this was a baseball game, it's not even the first inning yet. People are just bringing equipment out onto the field and kind totally. of posturing and positioning and making their intent known. But we hardly even have a definition for what it is yet. So lots of tech, lots of hardware out there. Real life implications, TBD. Yeah, it's it's early. It's it's really early. I like that analogy that you made, and um, and certainly from scouring the show floor, it seems like all the companies that are advertising some type of solution for the metaverse can't even agree on what the metaverse actually is. Um, you know, there are some that we're viewing it as just kind of a 3D playground for social interactions, others that were positioning it as a industrial IOT augmented reality tool. And yeah, you know, I, I think it's kind of unlikely that we're going to see the real metaverse coalesce around a hardware event like CES. But what we are seeing are a lot of products that are kind of giving people their own um, interface to the metaverse, which who knows, some of them might take off, some of them might fall by the wayside. But, um, you know, again, there's there's a lot of tools for people to create in the metaverse, enter the metaverse, experience it. Um, and, and I think one thing's for certain if CES this year is any indication is that there's going to be no shortage of ways of accessing the metaverse once it does come to bear. But again, that probably won't be until the latter half of this decade. So sidestepping this shiny new object and thinking about the planet in which we currently reside on, sustainability was something that was echoed throughout the CES chamber this year. I think that we've seen a lot of green development as it pertains to infrastructure, as well as a lot of at-home innovation. What was your favorite sustainability takeaway from the show? 
man. Um, I mean, my favorite one is that there's just a, there seems to be a motivation now, you know, I think mm. companies are really starting to realize that in order to reach a value-based consumer, they need to align their values with the consumer they're trying to reach. And, and for a large majority of consumers, people are starting to realize that we need to take care of this planet. You know, I, I always think about this kind of dichotomy between the space race and sustainability, where it's like, sure, yes, I am all for becoming a multi-planetary species. That sounds great, but we need to protect the planet that we're on first before we can start to go off and explore the galaxies. You know, it's, you know, a good virus doesn't kill its host before it gets a chance to spread, as we've learned intimately over the past two years. So, <laughs> you know, I think um, there there's a lot of really interesting stuff that was shown on the show floor this year. I, you know, I don't want to steal anyone's thunder in later sections, but a lot of cool stuff with like um, devices that uh, require very low battery charge to operate. Um, there were, you know, something that I think we've seen before, but I think is like a really interesting packaging development was from uh, P&G Life Lab. They had a company that they were featuring called EC30, which were a series of home and body products um, that was really innovative packaging. They, they, it comes in a cardboard box and each, and it's a single use kind of like pad almost. It's like a little fabric tablet that when you add water and rub it, it becomes whatever the thing is. So like face wash, shampoo, conditioner, surface cleaner. Um, mm. And the active ingredients are just woven directly into the fibers of the pad, as opposed to being suspended in water, which is really great because it means it requires less water to produce. It doesn't require a plastic bottle to ship. Um, and it's removing a lot of, um, of, of waste from landfills. So um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 another just kind of statistic that I always come back to is that uh, I was doing some research and, and um, there was a study that said that two thirds of Americans believe that climate change is the number one issue um, for protecting the future of the planet, but only a quarter of Americans have actually done something about it personally over the past year. So to me, that means there's a gap, right, between intention and action. People want know it's the right thing to do they want to do something about it but they're not so what what could be the reason behind that maybe it's a lack of education maybe they don't know what to do maybe there aren't products that uh, are available to them that they feel like they can you know vote with their wallets and make it the right consumer choice that's also right for the planet so you know i'm, I'm just really encouraged to see that a lot of companies are are, are understanding that they need to in order to do well, they need to do good. Totally agree with that sentiment. And I think we're finally approaching a point where these increased uh, or overproduced goods that have a more sustainable angle are coming to a price point that is affordable to a more general consumer. And that in turn is helping us to make more positive, effective change across the globe. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my theory is that if all else equal in terms of quality, price, accessibility, with two products and one of them has a sustainability story and one of them doesn't, I think most people would choose the sustainable product. Totally. So let's move away from that juxtaposition of the space race and sustainability and uh, <laughs> not think about any future blights that might have to leave us, have us leaving the planet, but let's uh, hone it in, no pun intended, and think about things that 
bring peace and joy to our day and something that's not usually associated with the cacophonous chaos that is CES, but peace of mind was something that we did observe as a trend across the show floor this year. Cacophonous chaos. I love it. Been working you on are, that one. You're, you are comms through and through. Oh, so great. Um, so yeah, I mean, as I said before, you know, it's not a big surprise that the last two years have been tough. You know, that, that could be the understatement of the year. Um, uh, and we have seen a lot of, of companies that have recognized that and are really building peace of mind directly into their products this year. Um, there are smart home devices that have kind of graduated from just simply being connected to actually adding an additional layer of safety and security to the home. Uh, there are some really great future of work, like return to office um, products that are, you know, all about um, sanitization and making sure people feel safe, especially in an open working environment like what we have, um, where you might not be sitting at the same desk every day, but you want to make sure that your keyboard is going to be clean and sanitized when you go to work and use it. Um, there are smart city solutions that have touch-free interfaces to reduce contamination. Um, and finally, we see a lot of products in the entertainment space that are just tailored towards consumers that are seeking escapist experiences as well. You know, as, as, as brands, um, you know, I guess all brands are kind of media brands at this point. Um, and you kind of need to weigh that balance between, okay, do we lean in and, and, and uh, help to solve these challenges for our consumers? Or do we provide a pivot where we understand that they're totally overwhelmed by the cacophonous chaos, the complete disorder, um, and provide you know these escapist experiences where they don't have to think about it for a while? And I think both tacks are totally valid, and in some cases, brands are going to want to take both approaches. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that I think we'll cover later that have peace of mind kind of built directly in, but. You know, I think overall, um, you know, what we saw on the show floor this year is that, you know, a, a just an overall recognition that the pandemic has accelerated adoption trends across the board. Uh, it's flipped what we previously knew about consumer habits completely on its head. Um, and as we enter this era of entropy, which will be de defined by bigger, faster, nonlinear, less predictable change, uh, CES again provides that optimistic glimpse into the future by demonstrating how major tech companies are building solutions for tomorrow. But with that, I think a good way to move it in now that we've evaluated the first four macro trends is to kind of take a deeper dive into some of the sections that we evaluated. And I want to go first into the home, just coming off of sustainability and coming off of peace of mind. A lot of the innovations that we saw were in that area. So Chelsea Freitas is with us. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, Ryan. Hi, everybody. And she was our resident expert in chief in the home this year at CES. So Chels, why don't you give us the 411 on what you saw um, on the floor? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Ben set it up in a really great way with those four key trends. I'll first go into safety, which was a really important theme in the home. And like overall, it wouldn't be CES if we didn't see some big flashy, like mind-blowing innovations or things that just like, you know, lead us to pure affluence and luxury, things like an $8,000 Kohler stillness bath that really mimics that biophilic design and forest bathing, or things that we didn't even know we needed, like a light bulb that tracks biometrics. But one thing that really was true this year was 
purposeful innovations within the home. Things that both created more accessible sustainability as well as pulled through that peace of mind and safety angle. So one of the themes we highlighted was um, calling it safety first. And this emerged as a macro theme, both through different innovations and the way that those innovations were marketed and talked about this year to again, alleviate that anxiety and that stress that we're all feeling. So safety first, are we talking about like lock boxes and gates and cameras, or are we talking about, you know, computer vision for the home to make sure that there's presence detection and fall detection for seniors, or is it everything? I mean, all of the above. We saw so, so many, you know, video doorbells and cameras, even smart doors, if you don't want to have to connect mm. your different uh, platforms to each other. But beyond just that home security, which we know is going to continue to spike, in fact, by 2025, smart doorbells will be in 80% of smart home security households. Wow. So we really are leading with the exterior of the home. But safety first goes beyond that. It goes beyond just that exterior protection to really um, some of the apps that are not only hyper-efficient, but are going to create peace of mind for both parents and different, um, really everyone who's going to occupy their home. We saw everything from like the smart door I mentioned from Masonite to pet portal, my, uh, my Q pet portal, which is again going to be, we know who really owns the home is going to be the our pets, pets <laughs> especially this year. They really upgraded like smart access ecosystems to control that pet door um, remotely, no matter where you are, to even things that are going to be in the kitchen and the bathroom from Kohler, which again, announced a, like a really a suite of products that are going to position them as a guardian in the home. Things like the Roburn Digital IQ Lockbox, which sits right in a vanity to keep those medications locked up tight, as well as things like their H2Wise Smart Water Monitor. So that can even anticipate freeze and put on a pre-freeze warning, and it can also track water usage. So again, nodding to sustainability. We talked about safety in the home, and I know you outlined a couple of other trends of what you identified across that space. So why don't you take us into number two? Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic intro into the next thing I want to talk about, which is life cycle loyalty. And I, this is just a taste because this will be a really important macro, macro theme for the lab's 2022 outlook report. For life cycle loyalty, really what it is, is a disruption for how consumers think about the life cycle of a product. And we're really seeing this play into the at-home economy, which is, again, a big ticket item and a really important space where people are spending a lot when it comes to these smart items in their home. So when companies can actually implement these updates quicker from a software point of view, we're seeing that people are really rethinking what loyalty means to them when they find a company is meeting their needs or even anticipating their needs. When we think down the line to the future, ultimately, we're hoping that, you know, the washer can talk to the dryer and continue to anticipate and make things even that much easier. So things like the LG ThinQ app, really implementing different uh, service options where you can scan recipes and those recipes will be automatically, um, the ingredients will be put into your Amazon Fresh Cart or your Walmart app to really begin to automate a lot of those services. We know that LG also announced um, an upgrade system to begin to roll out those software upgrades quite immediately. And then one of my favorite examples was actually from Whirlpool for their Wi-Fi connected ovens. They're really paying attention to culture and being a smart um, business leader because they're actually um, launching now 
the, an air fry mode for their different ovens, as well as an air fry basket. They know the popularity of the air fryer, as well as this like spike in recipes. And they're really riding this culture pop to make sure they're keeping up um, with the other smart products in the market. That's a way to stay on top of the trends, you know, just watch a couple TikTok videos and make, <laughs> let that influence your product design. Yeah, and really the promise of new features down the line is going to be an added selling point for smart appliances. What about innovation in the home as it pertains to working from home? Is there any insight that may have overlapped with other technologies that we saw exhibited that influence either the creator economy or our life working at home? People are spending more and more time than ever in their homes, and that includes for many of us um, who have the luxury to do so, remote work. So a trend that we've been talking about here at the lab for quite some time is the multifunctional home. And we're gonna see that only continue to increase even as things are opening up around us. It's really important that we feel home is that center of gravity that can meet all of these different needs as we're doing more and more activities at home. And work is a really important thing. So we saw everything from you know, TVs that can serve your entertainment needs and then go into transparent mode, like the LG OLED transparent shelf TV, we saw a lot of different work devices launch, like the Sony Bravia Cam, which is going to really have multiple benefits. That's going to be able to track and use sensors to like pause and play your entertainment, but it'll also serve as a video chatting camera um, to really streamline uh, those work moments. It even has like some sustainability features worked in where it knows if you're in the room or not, and it'll dim the display and change that entertainment uh, display that you're seeing to save power ultimately. Knowing that we have a resident um, future of work expert here in Adam Simon, I would love to know if there is any overlap in between what you were seeing from the office front and those new technologies that are helping us uh, operate remotely and what Chelsea was seeing from a home perspective. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, there's CES is always a place where we see the updates and rollouts of new lines of computers from companies like Dell and Samsung and Asus. Um, and we obviously had all of that this year as well. I think, you know, a lot of the individual devices themselves are not super noteworthy, but the noteworthy thing that you can pull out of, out of all of the announcements is that everybody's really pivoting around the idea that a lot of this hardware is now being designed for our, our future of hybrid and remote work. Um, and that means that things are getting upgrades like much better webcams and microphones and speakers, the kinds of things that some laptop makers uh, maybe had been skimping on previously because they didn't think it was that important. We now know, obviously, that we're going to all spend a lot more time on camera from our computers going forward. So uh, there's been a lot of investment in sort of the built-in media production uh, side of, of the computers. Um, one device that I thought was was noteworthy that is a really, you know, showing that a lot of the, 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 the spending in the space is really being focused on helping folks outfit those home offices and those remote workspaces um, was a, a smart monitor from Samsung. Um, and I think it's interesting because they obviously had the upgrades in the camera and audio system that we were seeing everywhere else. Um, but it's specifically designed to be a monitor that you use for work, but that lives in your home um, mm. because it has things like AirPlay and the Matter smart home uh, connectivity built into it. Um, so I think it was an interesting acknowledgement that like, and reminder that we all also use computers in our home and um, increasingly we use computers in our home uh, and that the, maybe there's some interesting 
hybrid role for those monitors so that it, maybe it's a monitor that you're plugging your laptop into during the day, but you, you can use it as an AirPlay display to watch Netflix uh, in the evening or on the weekends. Um, and that just having these displays around our home, there might be multi-functional uses for them as, uh, as Chelsea was calling out. Yeah, and I, I don't think maybe a transparent TV or the frame from Samsung have the most application in our day-to-day -day work life, but I'm sure there's plenty of other devices that have cross-functionality, like you were alluding to, you know, during the day, it's running your Excel spreadsheets, and at night, you turn it into your Netflix command center. Yep. And, you know, I think the other, another notable device that I wanted to call out is uh, a new webcam. Last year, we saw a ton of people announcing webcams because it was, you know, cheaper and easier than redesigning their entire laptops uh, around them. Um, this year, I think one of the, the, the coolest sort of most practical um, remote work devices that I saw was uh, a new webcam from Anchor that has um, a built-in built speaker and microphone, so it can automatically adjust the levels of your microphone based on what it's hearing in the ambient room and also do a little bit of noise canceling and sort of echo canceling in your room. Um, and then also it has a built-in light bar, so it can automatically adjust uh, the lighting on your face and have that all come out of one package that is just sort of propped up at the top of your, of your display. Uh, and I thought that was uh, smart and like a good, uh, easy, easy thing to say yes to, to, to upgrade, just to make sure that there's a you know, sort of hands-off approach to just making you look and sound better on these calls. What, what I'm interested to know is that you know, the smart speaker has kind of been the epicenter or control point in the home for a long time now. But as we unveil all of these new cameras and devices in the home, do either you, Chelsea, or you, Adam, think we're going to start to see a shift in what is that primary point of uh, communication in our home network? Uh, I think that's interesting. I mean, we have seen a number, uh, increasing number of um, smart displays that are basically smart speakers with displays and cameras on them. That definitely seems like a relatively popular category. A lot of those devices over the past two years have been upgraded so that they can run things like Zoom and Teams and not just you know Amazon and, and Google's versions of those things. Um, but uh, I think there's still, you know, we're, we're not yet at a place where uh, many households have cameras in every room. Um, but as Chelsea was saying earlier, you know, if we get to 80% of households having smart doorbells, you know, is it a, another five years before we all have cameras in our living rooms, for example? Like, yeah, we're, we're definitely moving in that direction, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think we saw a lot of strides toward more interoperability within the home. We're not quite there yet, but the chaos is subsiding as devices can begin to run more seamlessly. So Adam, we focused on two of your favorite innovations from the show, but from like a more macro perspective, if you had to give me a elevator pitch on what the takeaway was from the future of work at CES 2022, what would that be? Well, there, there's two things, really. Um, obviously, the, the overlap with the home. There's two other things I wanted to call out, though. One is the um, sort of, uh, and Ben mentioned this at the beginning, but like re-emphasis on things that are going to make people feel safe and comfortable going back into shared workplaces. Um, so there were a number of announcements from uh, the the, uh, the brand's Targus uh, around, um, they make they make bags. Uh, they have a whole new line of antimicrobial bags. So if you're uh, the kind of uh, folks like we often are commuting on the New York City subway, uh, you can feel a little bit safer about resting your bag on the seat or the ground of the subway. Um, and they also uh, announced a uh, UV 
um, disinfection light that lives right above your keyboard. And Ben kind of alluded to this earlier, but it's designed for keyboards and shared workspaces to uh, get disinfect them in between uses. And I think that that's, we're gonna see more and more of that kind of technology come into, into shared workplaces. Um, but the other thing that I, I wanted to call out, and um, Ben also alluded to this one earlier, is just the, the overlap between um, knowledge work and the kind of work that, that we're doing and the kind of thing that we're doing right now uh, and the creator economy. And uh, we saw a lot of announcements at CES this year that kind of crossed those streams that were kind of acknowledging that um, a lot of knowledge work is uh, basically the same as um, recording a YouTube video or a podcast. I mean, we are here producing this podcast as part of our work, but it's not very different from the presentations that we were doing uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, it's just with a maybe a slightly different audience in mind and a slightly different output in mind. But a lot of the tools are the same. Um, and we saw a number of announcements in this space. There were um, monitors designed for streamers. Uh, the LG Odyssey Arc is basically a, a curved display that rather than go horizontal actually goes vertical. And it's designed to stack three different displays on top of each other. So you can have a view of the content you're sharing. You can have a view of everybody else that's on the call with you. And then you can have a view of the combined sort of broadcast that is going out. Um, and I think that that is the kind of thing that was specifically designed for streamers. But if you are uh, the kind of person who does a lot of uh, remote or will continue to do a lot of remote video calls, that kind of setup could be great for that as well. You spend most of your time on Zoom calls, you might want to have that, that three screen setup, um, or at least as you know, an option for one of your displays. Um, another thing that I wanted to call out in this category is the uh, a really interesting wearable camera device called the Linklet, um, which is basically a camera that sits around your neck, kind of like a, a necklace um, with, with a forward pointed camera and microphone that is basically designed to give you hands-free access to a video stream of whatever you're doing with your hands. Um, and again, this is something that is being marketed towards creators in, in fields of who are doing things with cooking or with arts and crafts or with uh, you know anything basically that you're doing with your hands that you wanna be able to show your audience. Um, and then also there, it has applications in the business world. It might make it easier for you to demo a mobile application, for example, if rather than have to connect your phone and figure out how to, you know, manage that window uh, and get that video source uh, as, as sort of a second video source, you can just tap a button and point, uh, point have these, this camera that's around your neck pointing to what's in your hands. So lots of interesting stuff in this space. Uh, the last one that I'll call out um, is uh, the, the Skydio 2 Plus drone. Um, there's been a lot of advancements in the drone space over the past few years. Um, and the new Skydio drone does some really cool stuff in software. It has a new keyframe feature that lets you basically pre-program the route you want it to fly. Mm. Um, and then it'll fly the route and record the video for you. And it also has a... Um, a way to scan uh, locations in three dimensions. So you can basically tell it, I wanna scan of the exterior of this house um, and it will fly around the house and generate a 3D model of it for you. So even though these things are, are originally targeted at um, creators who are monetizing their content online, you can see that there are really clear applications in various other industries. Certainly if you're a real estate agent, having a drone that you can just fly around someone's house uh, and capture the 3D model of it, that certainly seems like something that would be beneficial to you as a real estate agent. And this is on a consumer level $1,000 drone. So very accessible. Um, obviously it's not 
total pocket change. It's not throwaway money, but if it is the kind of thing that would benefit you in your work, um, these are the kinds of tools that are now available. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, that overlap with the between the creator economy and knowledge work is just really interesting and really exciting. And it's interesting to think about taking some of these tools and applying them to the kind of work that that we do and that I think a lot of our, our clients and, and listeners are doing as well. I just love all that all these tools are multi-purpose and multi-function because obviously they have an influence on the work that we do. But as you were alluding to, even with the drone technology, with the key framing, we're able to develop these digital twins of our home environments. And we're starting to see that technology bleed over from in the home to outside of the home as well. So we're in control of every single facet of our living style pretty much at all times. So whether it be, you know, three TVs that stack vertically or horizontally or double as your workspace or fitness center, I think there's a lot of crossover between the at-home work section and what we're seeing in the home. Um, really quick, before we move on, like, what was the coolest thing each of you guys saw on the floor in each of your sections? Um, I'll, I'll go first. I will say that the coolest thing that I saw was the Razor Project Sophia, um, which is a concept desktop PC in the very literal sense of desktop. Um, it is it is a modular computer that is built into the surface of a desk, um, really designed for you to be able to swap modules in and out depending on the activities you're doing. So if you don't need the keyboard, for example, if you're editing audio or video, you can pop the keyboard and pop in specialized controls for uh, for controlling audio and video. If you're streaming on Twitch, for example, uh, and all you really need are controls for your, your lights and the, the video content that you're sharing, um, you can drop those in and out uh, as well. It has a built-in, uh, I think it was 65-inch monitor display at the back of the, of the desk. Very much just a concept at this point, but, um, you know, I... I, I am a Mac user in my daily life, but a lot of the most interesting and exciting stuff is happening in PC hardware these days. Um, there's just some wild concepts out there, many of them probably not super practical, um, but I would love to see this. Uh, I would love to see Razer actually build this product. There are some YouTubers out there who, if they could swap in customized modules, uh, would easily shell out the probably, you know, 10, grand, 10 to 15 grand that it would cost to actually ship something like this in your section, the return of shared workplaces, I can actually see one of these being installed in a shared location where people can bring in these different modules and work in different capacity on this larger device that Razer has at a, you know, shared location. So yeah, really that's, interesting that's a, for sure. That's a great point. If you drop this into a co-working space and let people sort of check out the different modules or even bring their own. Yeah. It's a great idea. Chels, what about you? Was it the heartbeat light bulb? Was it the Taiyun hydroponic center? It, you know, that was a close second, uh, the indoor garden center. You know what I'm going to say, number one is, I have three words for you, smart bird feeder. Boom. It was the bird buddy. <laughs> Resident bird watcher, hashtag Manhattan bird alert. <laughs> you know, you like a couple tweets about the snowy owl and pretty soon you're deep in that connected community. So uh, there's a smart bird feeder out there with solar panels, it's Wi-Fi connected, it'll take pictures of birds and actually connect that, um, collect them on your phone in like a Pokemon Go style um, app function. So that was a super fun one. I've been talking about it a lot. I think some of these like lighter things that just connect us back with nature um, were really enjoyable to see this year. Love it. Chelsea's ornithological adventures coming to a screen near you soon. <laughs> I really like the Samsung remote. Um, you know, I, I had alluded to these devices that require very low uh, battery charge. Um, 
they last year they announced a remote that had a, a solar panel on the back that can charge based on indoor or outdoor light, which is really cool. The feature that they added this year is the ability for the remote to actually pick up radio frequency waves from other devices in the home to maintain mm. a charge as well. So I just think it's a really cool sustainability story and a, and a really nice way to kind of reduce the energy usage for some of the devices in your home. And that's actually the perfect segue. Taking us into the entertainment uh, section, Richard Yao is here with us. Richard, thank you for being here. Hi, of course. And thank you for queuing me up perfectly, Ben, there. Uh, right. So we see remote battery being a big tackle point for a lot of brands this year. But of course, CS when we CS with a lot of big, bright, huge, ridiculous TVs. And this year was no different. We have uh, Samsung coming out with something called QD LED TV that is supposed to rival the best QLED TV that its rival brands are offering. But really for marketers, I think one of the most interesting development coming out of the TV space at the CES is that a lot of TVs decided it's time to add camera to their TV so that it's not just a dumb screen you can only interact with through a click remote or with even your phone. It want to add camera for like kind of visual input that is so important for over smartphone and over um, just general digital interaction. We've been talking about camera as an input device since God, 2016, I wanna say, but- It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while, yeah. So this year looks like the TV manufacturers are finally catching up. One of the funniest example in that regard was the Samsung TV, which now come with a camera that will use uh, their uh, computer vision to sense where you're sitting in relation to the TV, and then fine-tune the TV visuals to make sure you're seeing the best picture. And if you're sitting a little too close, it, it might even give you a little warning, you know. Like your parents used to scold you when you're sitting too close to the TV for too long. So it's really interesting to see TV games AI to its audience. And I think that will unlock a lot of potential for content creators to think about what new type of content you can create, the more interactivity you can bring to the entertainment content, right? To make it not necessarily more like a video game, but definitely less passive viewing experience for the audience. So are these TVs using presence detection to communicate with any other parts of the home to you know, dim the lights before the movie starts mm -hmm. or cue your surround sound as uh, the Dolby thing pops on screen? Well, they should. That's a really good point. You just gave them a free development idea there. Uh, I haven't seen any examples like that, but with camera not adding to the TV, definitely that's a big potential to connect it to the other, the rest of the smart home system. And it's not just for content, really. Uh, we're seeing um, LG TV actually adding a telehealth uh, service to their TV so that the Primarily aim at senior citizens who has problem, you know, getting telehealth service to work on their phone or tablet. This way they can just turn on TV, go to the uh, telehealth app and then get 
the appoint video call appointment rolling as they need. So TV is also becoming more than just for entertainment. And I think that perfectly calls back to the multifunctional home like Chelsea was talking about earlier in terms of transforming our living room into all sorts of different functional spaces that we need to expand the definition of home devices. What I love about that innovation is twofold. Number one, I think one of the main problems with telehealth visits is that elders have difficulty operating mobile applications. So just bringing the experience to a larger screen goes a long way in mitigating some of that trouble that they experience during the process. And number two is, as you said, it kind of reflect was reflective of some of Chelsea's trends, but I think it's also reflective of what Adam was talking about, of the innovations that we're seeing at work in the home. Obviously, we know that people aren't going to the doctors as frequently in person with the technology available to us at our home. So knowing that we're evolving the medical experience at home too is, I think, a really interesting takeaway. It's not just the screens at home that's evolving. Of course, with CES, we're seeing a lot more car manufacturers showing up and the dashboard is increasingly becoming a more and more important screen real estate for different brands and TV uh, platform owner to conquer. This year, one of the biggest news coming out of space was Amazon having a partnership with Ford to bring their five TV OS into the backseat of uh, different Ford vehicles starting in 2022. So we're starting to see more screen also getting into more different spaces and all those screen are, well, they will start with entertainment, but as you said, they will be used for other uh, video services as well. And this is off the heels of announcements from last CES that we had learned that Amazon was starting to go into a couple of different vehicle manufacturers. We also saw Byton unveil that like 47 inch screen in their car last year. And we have Josh Malalu here as well, who is our mobility expert who made the joke during his presentation that we may be choosing our car in the future based on what our console preference is. So Josh, would you say that Richard's analysis of these screens in car is reflective of a bigger entertainment trend we're seeing in cabin? Or well, is this just a little micro dose? Yeah, I don't mean to hit the brakes on that trend just you know too aggressively, but uh, I do think that uh, there absolutely is truth to the fact that video will will someday be a very uh, centralized uh, ex part of the in-car experience that consumers will uh, sort of expect. Uh, I do think that there is still you know quite a bit of ways to go before you see like a couple of things before you see a people making car decisions based off of the entertainment systems that are available in there. Um, and yes, you have, you've referenced some speculation of, you know, as, as Sony announced sort of additional uh, uh, fleets of their mobility concept cars, um, as well as their prototypes that they had on the show floor that, you know, will the PlayStation ultimately make its way into, uh, into one of these vehicles? Probably. Um, and, but again, I think that will be something that will be sort of down the road. I don't think it's necessarily something that will get somebody to, uh, go out and buy the car necessarily, but I do think it is something that, you know, if you are already a uh, involved in the Sony ecosystem, right, like anything, it's a lot easier to um, get somebody to kind of, you know, incorporate that now and, and sort of upgrade potentially, you know, subscribe or something like that they may have with Sony if it now all of a sudden gives them the ability to bring a lot of the features that they've experienced in their home into their automobile as well. Um, but just sort of taking a little bit of a step back, you know, in, in years past, you know, obviously the, the headlines around 
uh, mobility at CES have often referenced kind of the increased amount of tech that was basically being jammed into all different kinds of automotive you know models, whether that was autonomous vehicles or electric vehicles. Um, and I think you know what what um, what Ben had sort of mentioned earlier in terms of you know companies are really understanding the importance of uh, doing good by the consumer, uh, the environment, and making sure that they're providing customers with the peace of mind. This year, I think a lot of the trends around mobility really centered on mindful enhancements to that mobility experience. Uh, one of the big trends uh, that we saw was around um, the use of audio, be, so extending beyond just the, the visual aspect of it. You know, the primary content formats that um, are being consumed in cars is, is auto, um, and it's really begun to diversify quite significantly into streaming audio, podcasts, eBooks, e-learning. I know my wife is, you know, getting her doctorate and she's taking all of her classes on her morning commute to and from work and stuff like that. So um, there's a real sort of utility that's come with now being able to have lots of different audio formats available. But I think with that though, you see things like Sonos, which earlier this year had partnered with Audi about bringing their speakers into their new line of cars. As I mentioned, Sony obviously touting all of their um, you know, surround sound experience and bringing that into the automobile as well. And I think what's, what's interesting about that is that those, those companies are leaning into platforms that consumers have embraced and adopted inside of their home. And as we've talked already a little bit about how the home is now kind of going on the road and the car is really becoming an extension of the home, it's sort of a natural place for these, these tech companies to continue to expand because as I said, if you're already using Sony speakers you know, in your house and, and those kinds of things, you understand the, the level of quality that you're gonna be able to get, how you manage that system, things of that nature. Um, one of my favorite companies uh, on the show floor this year was a company called uh, Searance, which was basically a butler for your car. Um, and so instead of drivers, you know, telling the car what to do with traditional wake up words like, hey, Alexa, or something like that, Searance proactively offers to perform different action based on uh, before the drivers even need to ask. Uh, and so they talked about some uh, examples uh, like suggesting ordering and paying for your cup of coffee when you're in, you know, close proximity to your favorite coffee shop or knowing if you have a meeting, you know, the next day and it's, you know, 50 miles away, uh, it can suggest stopping to fuel up today at your closest ExxonMobil gas station, um, you know, even though your low fuel warning might not be on. Um, but one of the most interesting use cases, which is probably also the most annoying use cases, uh, it will serve as a backseat driver and will point out if you roll through <laughs> roll through a stop sign. Um, so, you know, it, while annoying, yes, there's also obviously a lot of safety that's being built into some of this sort of, again, kind of more audio audio centric uh, experiences that are that are being developed in the car. Um, I think also as we look at CES, obviously it wouldn't be CES if we didn't have a huge, you know, swath of uh, autonomous vehicles and, and different kinds of mobility solutions mm. uh, on display. Uh, but this year, though, was, was, I think, very different from years past because we sort of left the flying cars and helicopters and insanely big yachts uh, kind of at home. And instead, we saw a lot of solutions that really emphasize the importance of sustainability and safety. Uh, John Deere had announced um, a, what's called a see and spray technology, uh, which basically uses computer vision and machine learning to detect and differentiate plants from weeds, and then being able to target herbicide only at uh, the weeds. Uh, so again, I thought that was kind of a very sort of useful and very mindful application 
uh, of technology um, with sort of obviously the end user uh, in mind. And then we also saw uh, Udelve, uh, who had announced uh, a pretty significant evolution in uh, mobility solutions where they unveiled a uh, cabless electric delivery vehicle for multi-stops. So it can make up to 80 stops per delivery run and can also travel on highways and go up to 70 miles per hour. And you might say, okay, well, why is that really significant? Well, it's significant because as we, as we long have expected, that autonomous vehicles and, and delivery vehicles and things like that will play an important part of the future of what our cities and, and smart cities look like. Um, you know, those vehicles having to constantly stop and pull over and, and, and have to recharge and things of that nature um, or reload goods and things, right? Th th that's a big change to infrastructure. And so now that we can start to think about solutions that are, that are mindful of some of those obstacles, uh, I, think that that's, um, I think that that's really important. And then lastly, on the, on the topic of electrical vehicles, uh, a lot of the debate is really about how we can improve battery efficiency, how we can make sure that we're minimizing the e-waste and the waste that comes from those kinds of things, as well as complementing some of that battery power with other forms of alternative solutions. And uh, Mercedes uh, had rolled out uh, their sort of solar panel roof uh, that helped propel some of their electric vehicles to get upwards of 620 miles per single charge, which is about double what the typical uh, electric vehicle uh, could deliver today. Um, and Hyundai has really been focusing on creating a more standardized um, you know, battery that is applicable to all of their autonomous uh, and electric vehicles. Uh, whether that is the automobiles or even a lot of the construction uh, vehicles uh, and things like excavators and cranes and wheelbarrows and all these kinds of things. Yeah, and I think last year at CES we saw Fisker develop a vehicle that had a you know array of solar panels on its roof to extend its battery life. But mm -hmm. as was electrification of vehicles still a primary focus at CES 2022, and in addition to that, was the infrastructure around it also talked about. Oh yeah, absolutely uh, an emphasis this year. Um, and I think, again, it, it, it's really expanded beyond just sort of the, the pedestrian com component of it, right? Um, and, and you thought a lot more about the other kinds of form factors of, of electric vehicles that can help complement like construction industry, agriculture industry, other industries. Um, even today on Friday here, uh, what is January 7th, uh, is the, um, you know, the, the electric economists uh, Formula One race that's taking place at the, the Indy track in Vegas. Um, so you start to see a lot of sort of interesting use cases. But again, the, I think the biggest obstacle really is going to be what does that infrastructure look like that is going to help these vehicles at mass make their way onto the roadways? Yeah, to your point, there's a lot of like nuanced changes that are being made, like BMW being able to change the color of the car to take in more sunlight to extend the battery life. But yep. Richard, knowing that you extensively covered the smart city area, are we in a good position to support the switch to a mostly electric vehicle fleet? Or are we going to be encountering some resistance as we navigate towards full autonomy and full electrification? Well, that's a very broad question, but the short answer is no, we're not ready yet. Different uh, car brands do take different approach towards building up the charging infrastructure. A lot of them just want you to charge at home. And while that's good for commute, if you're taking your EV on a road trip, you might be out of luck if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, or I don't know, <laughs> somewhere. And the different brands have different approach, right? Tesla is building their own 
sort of preparatory charging station where if you have an EV that's not a Tesla, you can't really use it. But then there's brands like uh, Ford or uh, GM, which is taking a more patchwork sort of approach. They're partnering with third party tracking networks to kind of develop a more universal, but also sort of decentralized uh, tracking service that hopefully, you know, with EV now getting substantial market share year over year, it will start to put uh, the charging infrastructure on top of the list for city de developers. And as a lot of things in smart city, this is also a policy issue. It's really up to each city and the municipality to prioritize, you know, building on more charging infrastructure that will encourage the residents to switch from um, diesel to electric. So that's where we are on that. So beyond electrification, obviously that goes a good way to helping with our sustainability goals and developing a more efficient and interoperable city. But what are those core technologies that are being developed, research implemented across these cities that are helping us move into the future? Well, one of the big trends we're seeing in smart city is that in terms of helping with traffic modeling and mobility planning, digital train, which is sort of a technology that's coming in uh, gaming and even building the metaverse in a way that's being quickly adopted by smart city uh, technology firm. You have company like Cognata and here building digital train model of the whole city, uh, plugging not just the road condition, but also weather condition, uh, traffic lights or accident to really model a real time uh, city traffic uh, digital train that can help planner to see what's going on. And also if you change one element, then how does the rest of the change in dynamic? And this is the future of city mobility planning. It, to Josh's point, if we need to get to the future of autonomous vehicle ro roaming on the road, then this kind of real-time um, digital train data set will be crucial to the safety of the vehicles on the road. And now in most instances, are these all this reporting going back and being fed into you know, an AI machine learning model to help assist people like you and I make the right decisions as to what time the light switches or what time the train comes through town and things like that? Well, hopefully it won't be up to people like us, ordinary civilians. Hopefully there will be someone more responsible for Fingers crossed. making those calls already. Yeah, it should be a little bit more automated. I think automation is a big part of the smart city competition as well. And it really depends on building a more holistic system, we see different city like Seoul and some Japanese city demoing their whole smart city system that really take into account of everything from neighborhood information to road condition to uh, the water system and the general energy consumption of the city. It's really a holistic competition that both not only for the convenience of its restaurant, but also for the better environment, the, the building a more sustainable city for the future. Before we dive into our next section, I want to give uh, you, Josh, and you, Richard, an opportunity to tell our listeners about your favorite thing that you saw on the show floor this year. 
Yeah, well, I would say I have sort of two. I think that the the cool thing that that I was intrigued by was the uh, was definitely the BMW um, push of the button and your car changes color. I think that just the the use of that, the fact that uh, obviously I'm wearing a tie dye sweatshirt, so I love the use of color, and uh, I think being able to kind of change that ultimately to to match your personality, coupled with the fact the real you know application of uh, as you alluded to earlier, right? It's like if it's a warm day and, and it's and it's a winter and it's winter time and the sun's out and you want to absorb some heat, you know, to help propel the car and things like that. I think there's some really kind of cool uses. And then um, for me, I uh, I value being able to uh, get things done uh, while I'm in the car. And so something like the the butler for my car by Sirens is, is an absolute must-have for me. I would I would that would definitely be something that I would. Uh, I would actually go out of my way and purchase a car if it had that feature. <laughs> You've already got three backseat drivers. So I know. Do I don't need, need Yeah, I don't need more. <laughs> Richard, Richard, how about you? Uh, well, my biggest surprise discovery coming out of Smart City this year was this thing called Video Window. But this is a Dutch company that actually put transparent screen into big glass window at public places. So imagine if you're at the waiting room of an airport and a giant screen start to showing sort of like a grayscale video as a way to both entertain the people who are waiting there, but also as a way to shade some of the sunlight from outside to maintain cool within the venue of those places. So I thought that's a really interesting way of bringing um, sustainability and uh, out of home media opportunity together. Uh, according to this company's website, they have already uh, been installed as some European airport to positive feedback. So maybe we'll see more of those transparent displays and to boost up our out of home media inventory. That was a personal favorite of mine too. I know I am one of the least Zen travelers that there is. So anything that could add to the ambiance of an airport, I am all in favor of. But pivoting away to that, as we talk about my mental health, it's a good time to move into digital health, which Katie Geisreiter had the pleasure of scouring the floor for this year. Katie, hello. Hello. Yes, I did. <laughs> You want to tell me a little bit about some of the favorite things that you saw on the floor? Maybe a big trend that you extrapolated during your many travels virtually? <laughs> My many virtual travels. Yeah. So I think kind of the key takeaway from, um, in terms of digital health from CES this year is similar to what we've seen in previous years, just around people being in control of their own health and the technology that enables them to have that kind of control. So, you know, things like wearables and remote monitoring devices and whatnot really allow people to kind of redefine their relationship with their doctor, with their healthcare provider, with their own understanding of how kind of their, their health works. Um, and just every year there are kind of increasing numbers of uh, devices that allow people to kind of under further understand themselves and um those devices get kind of smaller and less intrusive um you know each each time where we have the pleasure of visiting las vegas whether it's uh, in person or virtually i know in at, at least in eureka park covid consciousness was influencing innovation and we were seeing these devices being manufactured for the most nuanced use cases, whether it be measuring your heart rate, which is pretty standard at this point, to blood oxygen mm -hmm. levels, to measuring glucose without having to do the finger prick. I think that we're starting to see a pretty wide swath of devices being developed that 
are able to treat um, more nuanced use cases in the medical field. Yeah, totally. Um, there, uh, there are just like a platter of really interesting ones and not in Eureka Park, obviously, but um, one of the things coming out of the Abbott uh, keynote yesterday was something that they developed, I think called Lingo. Basically, it's a building on kind of the technology that they have um, for glucose monitoring for people with diabetes. Um, and it's just basically like a they call it a bio wearable and it can track obviously glucose, but then ketones and lactate. And they said, I think eventually alcohol and it's supposed to be kind of really small and um, continuously monitoring obviously as everything is connected to an app, this is also connected to an app. Um, so yeah, so I think that that kind of constant monitoring is, um, is something that these companies think that people are wanting. And I think certainly if it, um, if it helps people kind of better understand their health and um, gives them a little bit more of a sense of agency in the hellish healthcare system we have in this country, um, I think, you know, I think that that's just a benefit. And now that device from Abbott you were just talking about, is that a patch? Is it a, like, what kind of wearable is it? What, what's the hot form factor? <laughs> um, yeah, so it is. Um, I don't honestly know totally every single detail about it also because it doesn't really exist yet. Um, but it is kind of much like what the wearable, I'm calling it that feels a little strange for, um, for kind of monitoring diabetes. It's just the thing that lives on your upper arm um, and is constantly kind of taking your glucose or uh, your glucose levels or whatnot um, throughout the day. <laughs> and in, in terms of like other innovations that you were seeing in the floor, most of them were embedded into smartwatches, I'd imagine. Yeah, a ton. Obviously, there's always a ton of smartwatches. Um, Wivings had one that um, I think this is the first time, or it's not, it's not necessarily the first time that it's been FDA approved, but um, basically it measures um, your EKG and whatnot, but it actually requires you to um, gain medical clearance before you can actually access that feature. So after taking your first EKG within like 24 to 48 hours, um, it is your reading is sent to a separate healthcare company, which is then consulted by a cardiology team uh, for kind of clinical interpretation. So obviously that's a little bit more of a process, but I feel like that just establishes consumer confidence in the device that it's going to be accurate and um, that the information that they're getting is, uh, is being vetted by professionals, you know, um, and by doctors and not necessarily just your own personal interpretation of an EKG reading. And that privacy and ability to collect your own medical data, I think is something that we're seeing reflected in a lot of innovation in the digital health sector, just not kind of taking your results and sending them out into the void to never be seen <laughs> later, actually taking control of your medical records and being able to disseminate them is a huge advantage, whether it be for COVID testing and able being able to share your vaccination or, you know, whether it be other medical cases. I think that was a real interesting point from CES this year. Totally. And I think you talked about um, that one device that's that kind of COVID test on the go that like plugs into your phone or whatever. And then it Rap gives you an RF. Yeah, that one. Um, that was really interesting. And just, I don't know, I am in general kind of skeptical individual um, kind of choices being able to substantially uh, impact public health. But I thought that that was really cool and kind of a seamless um, way of making people feel safe and um, just kind of having that real-time information for what their, how, what their health looks like at that moment. 
So we talked a lot about hardware that has to do with measurement and keeping track of your personal private medical records. What about hot innovations like phone soap from last year? What was <laughs> the like new piece of equipment that everyone must have in our sanitation game? Oh man, for me, um, what I really liked, and that's just because uh, I live deep in Brooklyn and um, when we do eventually have to commute again, I will have, I will spend 50 minutes with all of my beloved co-citizens on the train. Um, it's a device called um, the Airvita E1 from a Taiwan-based company, I think called Eyeball. And basically they have uh, air purifying technology that produces some sort of negative ion kind of around your face. Um, and it disrupts inner bacteria and pollen and uh, you know pathogens like COVID. And it also has, uh, theoretically uh, noise canceling headphones. For me, in terms of sanitization, the Sterorite, I don't know if any of you guys came across it on the floor, but basically it's just a device that you drop your pen in and it spits it out sanitized on the other side. And knowing how many doctor's offices and restaurants and places that you have to go that you're picking up a pen that someone inevitably had up their nose or in their mouth, that was a massive relief on my end. One thing that I really found interesting um, was the way that different companies have leaned a little bit more into accessibility, not necessarily in terms of accessibility kind of from a disability perspective, though obviously that is, um, you know, that is a huge theme as well, but building, building products tailored towards audiences that historically haven't necessarily been the kind of key focus um, of, of the show for. So, uh, one example is, I think it's the Movano ring, which is a wearable, um, a wearable ring, you know, <laughs> the Movano ring is obviously a wearable ring, but um, it measures kind of your basic metrics, but the way it was designed was actually specifically for women. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, like the typical kind of wearable ring, like the Aura ring, which I know that uh, was, a, was something that we talked about last year. Um, is was designed with kind of traditional like male features and whatnot in mind and with women's hands uh, being like a little bit narrower, I guess. Uh, the ring is built with that um, just, and it's just like slightly skinnier, I think, um, to fit women more um, or to tailor it to women more than, um, more so than men. But so things like that, I find um, really interesting and in kind of building um, a more inclusive uh, environment than, um, than what perhaps we, we see all the time, um, which will ultimately just help bring more and more people into, um, into the digital health space, like letting them uh, track and understand their data in a way where they may have historically been excluded. And I think a inclusive design goes a long way in allowing access to these services and more of the general population. Richard talked about bringing digital health services to televisions prior and even just mm -hmm. changing the form factor of a ring to make it more appealing to women, I think goes a long way in gaining new consumers in that subset. Before we uh, move on to Chad to help close this thing down really quick, what was your favorite thing you saw on the floor this year? So <laughs> I am I am kind of generally uh, tough to impress, but the thing that I really liked was from a Southern California company called DermTech. They have um, a concept called, I think, Luminate, which basically it's a skin test for people who want to learn more about kind of what UV damage they have in their skin and um, kind of, of course, with, with any device, gain insights and, and see your actual health data. So it's basically a little sticker that you put on your skin, like, you know, over a mole or something. Um, 
that you then send to Dermtech and they'll analyze that uh, your your skin sample and um, you know in a, in a beautifully designed dashboard tell you what your UV uh, kind of damage is at the DNA level. So I thought that that was interesting, um, just given that the kind of the way that we interact with dermatologists from a telehealth perspective can be challenging, just given the challenges is that like what you're seeing, like being able to have that conversation about your skin over your laptop camera, your phone camera or whatever, um, it can be challenging, but this kind of extends dermatology to that new place. And it's also a less invasive version of a medical procedure, procedure like just getting a, a mole checked out or something, which is always helpful and uh, kind of lowers the, the barrier to entry, I guess, um, of that kind of procedure. Yeah, I would imagine a telehealth visit with a dermatologist would be a little bit awkward as you move your laptop around your body <laughs> and pull it closer to your yeah. skin. But I've done it. It's not great. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Mr. Stoller, glad that you can join us. Thanks for being here. We've been having a productive conversation about all the cool things that we saw this year, but we know that we usually reserve some of the hottest of the hot for you. So you want to lead off with one of your uh, big takeaways from this year? Well, I just, I just want to make sure that I don't repeat anything, but I, but I, I do think that uh, I was on the phone earlier this morning with somebody who was asking me, it's like, so what'd you see? Because you guys all know, everybody asks you the same question, like, what'd you see? What, what do you think is the best thing? And so I'm describing things on this like spectrum of kind of like, I saw some of like the most lowest fidelity in terms of like coolness mm -hmm. all the way up to something that I think is super cool. And I think that, you know, starting off on the low fidelity side, I love the Whirlpool oven. I love the idea that something that is so boring as an oven, which for years we have seen ovens that are like integrated with cooking apps or like an alarm or something like that, like that was the feature. And, and I think what's nice is, is that it's, I think it would be really cool if I owned a Whirlpool oven and then all of a sudden I got a message that said, by the way, your oven now has an air fry mode. And I would say to myself, that's pretty cool. And especially like, frankly, if I'm a parent of a teenager who is on TikTok all day, and sees air fryer recipes all day, that's kind of cool. Like all of a sudden my oven became hip. And I understand that that's like kind of like, a, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a joke. I, really what I'm just trying to say is, I think it's really cool when things can all of a sudden do new things and you can deliver surprise delight. For years, people have bought consumer electronics products and that's it. You get the state of the art that day that you purchase it and then at the bottom of the box is the picture of the next one. So when we see hardware start to update itself, it's pretty great. And it's kind of like, I was thinking to myself, what is the only other example of like hardware that all of a sudden had different modes and things like that? And like, I know Adam and Josh would probably check me on this, but it probably like when Tesla's all of a sudden got their self-driving mode, like that was kind of cool. Like you owned a Tesla and then like six months you know, later you were told, by the way, we're going to update your car with some sort of self-driving mode. And then everybody was like, every early Tesla owner was like, by the way, my car, my car, you know, self-drives. Like, I think there's something cool. And I'm not trying to make a direct connection between a Whirlpool oven and a Tesla, but I'm just trying to say there's something kind of cool about that. And it creates a moment in the home. So having said that, and by the way, LG has a whole bunch of like uh, dryers that also like got software updates that have new drying modes. I don't know what... If there's a cool drying mode out there, I'd love to know more about it. But on the other side of things, I know Adam was talking about the razor concept. And the thing that I thought was cool about that was less about the concept, 
Um, because I think it's it's kind of neat. It's like a control center and all that sort of stuff. And it's very razor. But I just like the idea that some of these companies are investing in the same type of strategies that automotive companies have done for years with concept cars. A concept car is not a car that is meant to go on the road. A concept car is meant to explore various concepts that find its way into future cars. And so like years ago, I remember, I think I was with some of you, and there was a really great Toyota car, which had emojis in the taillights. And I always loved that because me as a professional passenger, a lot of you know I don't drive, but I always think it's actually really great whenever there's kind of like a hostile moment on the road where you kind of want to just say to somebody, I'm really sorry, or something like that. And so like, like that car by itself won't go to market, but I still wouldn't be surprised if a few years later from now, we all of a sudden have taillights that communicate something right? Like an emoji or something like that. Now, I know that's a CES trend from years ago, but the reason why I'm bringing that up is, is that I think what Razor has done in a situation like this is that it's showing people where they see computing going and they're going to they're gonna design, whether it's peripherals, which is, what they, which is what they make, maybe they'll make computers, maybe it's a furniture thing, something along those lines. People will be inspired by that and it's showing where computing is going. And so those are two, those are two things that I like. They're kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum. And there's all these things in between, including Ryan, you and I love the steroid pen dispenser. For me, I, I don't know, with all this innovation being surrounded, I'm still like, I love flipping the pages of a book kind of guy. So there's something to tangibility. So even mm-hmm. having a device that allows me to recycle something that I could actually pick up and use and not have to look at a screen for once, like it adds a little something for me. But back to your initial point about um, those smart devices and in the oven that can update itself. Like, I just think it's pretty ironic that we've been calling these things smart devices and smart home and connected whatever for years. And like, only now we're just getting this functionality that they can update themselves and add more features. Well, it's like, I just don't think that, um, you know, appliance makers ever really thought about the importance of it because people have been cooking and washing and cleaning for years. And so then there never really was a need to do it. But, but what I think, and, and this is something that's been a trend. So it's like, we've been doing CES now for 11 years. And one of the things that we have never seen the appliance game ever do is accelerate the upgrade cycle. Now, it used to be that televisions didn't, you didn't upgrade a television for like, I think it was eight years or something along those lines. And it wasn't until like, you always saw the TV industry trying to accelerate this, which so it was like, you know, whether it was going to HD, that was a natural accelerant. But then there was like the 4K thing and it was 3D. Remember, it was like 3D and it was like, eh, it didn't really work. But then 4K is like, eh, it didn't really, you know, like people, like 4K was a natural evolution. People didn't go out to say, I want to get a 4K unless you're into gaming or you're a cinephile or something along those lines. But it was like one of these things where it's like, but the TV industry has found a way to kind of like reduce that upgrade cycle. It's not an annual thing. And it's probably now more like six years, six to eight years that people are upgrading TVs, but they took it down from like 10, 10 to maybe even a little bit more than that. And appliances have always struggled to do that. And so it's kind of like people would look at this like family of like LG smart appliances and they would say, yeah, but I don't want to upgrade everything. I don't want to, I don't want to, I just bought a new this and I'm not going to rip out all of these things just to add one new piece. And so there's this still this complexity in that. And so I think what's happening is this industry is trying to show that it's like, it's time to start updating. Like if you make the right investment and do it now, we'll continue to upgrade and so forth. So I think they're all trying to be natural accelerants. Adam, I see you have your head up. 
Yeah, I think one thing that would help with that is a thing that I, I think basically all of these embedded computing systems, whether they're in your car or in your appliances or you know in other smaller things in your home, I, I think a thing that would really help in this instance is manufacturers getting on board with a commitment to say, we are gonna support this device with software updates for X number of years. That way you as a consumer go in knowing, okay, I'm gonna buy this connected oven this year. Um, if I know I'm gonna to need to upgrade my fridge eventually, but I'm trying to spread that cost out. So maybe two years from now, I wanna buy a fridge and it would be great if those things can work together. If you go in knowing that you know Whirlpool or LG or whoever has committed to there being, I don't know, seven or eight years worth of software updates, at least you know you have that amount of time to like get in, get those devices into the ecosystem. And I think that that's something that we've seen happen with certain manufacturers on the Android side of things where they will commit to software updates for X number of years. I really think that's the kind of thing that all of these embedded computing systems, I know it's tricky to like really, you know, project that far out, but I do think that there's, you know, playing into this idea of lifecycle loyalty, you need to guarantee that the software features are not going to crap out before the, the physical hardware starts to degrade. And, and I think, Adam, I think there's something really important about that, because I think there needs to be a reputation update on these companies, because a lot of these companies mm -hmm. promise these things. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like, and they've, they've just left customers in the dust. So like some of the commentary that I read about the LG program was that they were basically saying, LG in the past, the, this software home, or it's called like update home or something like that has been a miserable experience for a lot of people. And it could also be one of these things where these devices, whether they're on like, um, you know, the 2.4 band. And so, you know, a lot of routers don't support that or whether it's just like the software updates come really late. Like, like I can tell you this, it's like, I have Vizio TV that I bought a year and a half ago and, or two years ago. And it's like, they stopped software updates for it. And this is like a smart TV, which you expect to get updates. The only updates I get are for SmartCast, but I don't get any of the updates that would fix a bunch of the different HDMI bugs and the things like that, that if you go on the Reddit forums for Vizio, it's like, people are like, hey, Reddit, are you are you listening? Are you, you know, it's just like tagging, tagging the Vizio people every day in all of their posts. Definitely. So you mentioned that we've been going for 11 years now. How does that, how does this CES hold up to the rest of them? So, you know, the, the thing that's interesting is that like last year we knew what we were going into. We knew that it was going to be fully virtual. And then this year it just, it, 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 it's, we went from one end to the other end so quickly. And so the, it's, it's also really, really weird because I still can't get an honest take on what the actual show floor looks like. I haven't spent that much time researching it and I certainly haven't gotten into the weeds, but I feel like there's a lot of like, let's just say photo essays that have been put out by all of the different publications of photo blogs that want to show how empty CES is. So they're purposely showing those photos versus showing what it's really like and so forth. So it's still hard to see, but the one thing I could take away is that it's definitely a much lighter show. And I think we can all, we, we all deal every day with people who would be at CES every year and very few people I know are, are there. Um, but I do like the way that we pivoted. I think we did a, a great job with all of the content that was made available to us. And, um, you know, one of the things that I was just chatting about with Adam while, while, while everybody was talking is like this format here for me is like the best virtual tour that you can get. 
Like this is it right here. Anybody who didn't get a chance to go to CES, anybody who didn't get a chance to attend the presentations, listening to this podcast is going to be like the best gift that they can get from walking away from CES. So that's a that's a, a, a statement, but it's also, I just want to just recognize everybody on this team for just once again, just like making the most out of what the situation was and just over delivering as always. So thank you to, to all of you. Thank you for the kind words, Chad. And I think I speak on behalf of all of us in saying that we share the same love and appreciation for CES, whether it be virtual or in person. And 11 years, when it comes to 12 next year, we'll be there bringing you the latest and greatest as always. So thank you, Adam, Josh, Chelsea, Katie, Ben, Chad, Richard, and for everyone at the lab, thank you for being part of our CES programming and talk again soon. Bye-bye.